Welcome to Communities Education Podcast with Martin and Rob. In this episode, we look at all things early years with our early years lead, Letitia McCalla, and we look at the launch of our early years charter. Hello and welcome to the Education Podcast for July. Uh, so last month we had two part podcast on pensions and this month we've got another special podcast for you on early years. But before we get into that, for those of you who've already subscribed, thank you. And if you haven't yet, the best way to get this podcast straight to your smart device for listening is to subscribe. So please do that on whichever platform you are listening to us on. And do let your colleagues know and share widely. Leave us reviews wherever you can. It really does help more people find us. And remember, if you do want to get in touch with us about anything that's talked about in today's podcast, you can do so at educationpolicy at community-tu.org. So, Letitia, absolutely fantastic to have you with us again. Um, we were just saying before we started recording, it's been two years since the last time you were on the podcast. It's amazing, honestly, we've even been doing it for that long. Uh, but thank you for joining us again. Uh, Martin, before we get into everything with Letitia, do you want to, uh, in your absolute best reading out policy voice, uh, give us a bit of an idea about what the um, Early Years Charter is? Fab, thanks, Rob. The Early Years Charter is available on our website for members to download and for people to look at. But basically, the Charter states that we would like recognition that Early Years staff are educators, not babysitters, recognition of the specialised work that Early Years staff and nannies undertake. We want to raise the profile of Early Years professionals and nannies to support recruitment and retention. We want to see increased funding for Early Years settings, funding that adequately covers the cost of provision. We want to see improved wages for staff because we know that this will also improve recruitment and retention. And we want to raise the profile of the early years professionals. Thank you, Martin. I, I did say best reading out voice. Uh, a little bit disappointed we didn't get your um, your government quote voice, but never mind. So, Tish, how did this charter come about? You know, was this was this something that was your idea, or, or how did this um, how did this come to fruition? Well, first of all, guys, thanks for having me back on the podcast. Um, I can't believe it's been two years since I last featured on the podcast. It's quite can't believe how much time's flown. So the charter has come about on the back of the issues that the sector is facing. We know that a lot of the issues have been long standing and go back for a long time. And we continue to kind of raise things at the DfE meetings and also with the early years coalition meetings that we attend. Um, however, we wanted to do something more and we wanted to give our members the opportunity to specifically state the issues that impact them the most and also give them an opportunity to get more involved with work to resolve the issues. So when you were putting this charter together, was it something that you included members in as you were sort of creating the um, the, the points of the charter? Yes, definitely. So every opportunity that we got to speak with early years members, um, we asked them questions around what if you, what was the main thing that they wanted to see changed in the sector? Um, what was the most important thing to them? And that is what's formed the the charter requests. So the charter was put together with involvement from significant number of our members. When did it launch? We launched the early years charter at the House of Parliament on the 6th of June. The main aim was to make MPs aware so that we could discuss the charter requests and hopefully get them to get behind it. We definitely wanted to go straight to the decision makers and it was a really, really successful event. 
several MPs came um, and that included Helen Hayes, Shadow Minister for Education. So she was um, really interested in what we were talking about and was looking forward to working with us more on it. The launch was also attended by Elspeth Pittman from Norland. She was representing our nanny members and also Neil Leach from the Early Years Alliance. So we had a great amount of support at the event and it was really, really successful. Well, that sounds fantastic. Um, We've got the Education Sector Conference coming up on the 24th of June uh, in Liverpool. I assume you'll be doing something there as well. Yes, definitely. We're all set and ready to go on that, Rob. Um, And I'm really, really looking forward to it. Just for the listeners, um, the Education Conference is attended by delegates from all over the education membership. So that's primary, secondary, further education. You know, we really wanted to give early years a a key stage or a key platform within the conference and raise awareness of the positive work that we're doing with the early years charter. It's launched now in Parliament. We're going to be, or by the time this podcast goes out, we'll have presented it at, at the early years conference. Where do we go next? We've only just begun, Martin, um, and there's plenty more places we're going to be taking this early years charter, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. So the next stop is at the Welsh Senate. We know that our Welsh early years members also have the same issues as our early years members in England. So our national officer, Helen Osgood, and our early years lead regional organiser, Abby Gutteridge, will also be presenting the early years charter at the Welsh Senate. So if members wanted to get involved, Letitia, how would they? Okay, so there's actually quite a few ways that members can get involved. Um, And I suppose it depends on how much involvement members want to take um, or what type of action they want to take would depend on what they actually do. So first of all, everybody can sign up to the Charter to show support. Uh, You can easily do this via our website. We also have earlier Charter specific leaflets and posters, which members can request to raise awareness within their workplace or community, friends and family. I think it's important to note on that one as well, Rob, that it's okay for members to make their employers aware about the early years charter as well, as what we're doing will also support employers. So it could be a way of opening those positive discussions with employers around um, trade union. Members can also arrange a meeting where their local community officer all officers have been briefed on the Early Years Charter and are really keen to, to do anything they can locally with it. So if members would like a meeting with their local officer, they can contact them directly and they'd be more than happy to facilitate. Members can also express an interest on a local protest. Um, so we would like to do some local protesting. However, we need to know that members in favour of it before we actually organise the event. So, you know, if you, if you are interested in doing that anybody please do let us know via our website and also you can write to your local MP so we have devised a draft letter on the early years charter webpage that where you can easily download and what I would say is you know if members are doing that um, that's fantastic please let us know once you've done it so that we can continue with that support. So what's uh, what's the response been like so far Letitia? Well, it's been really, really, really good. And that just shows me that we're doing the right thing at the right time for our members. We've had 
an overwhelming response via email to our early years email address. We've had several people saying that they're happy to raise awareness within their local workplaces. We've had somebody who's requested a meeting and we've also had quite a few say that they're interested in a protest. And we do obviously have quite a few members who are nursery managers. I was speaking to one this week, uh, in fact. So if employers or, or managers of nurseries want to sign up, do they do that as well by visiting the webpage? They do, Rob. So you don't actually have to be a member to sign up to the Early Years Charter. Um, you can sign up just to show your support with the requests. You'd literally go to the webpage and select sign up to the charter but obviously it does have like a drop down menu which says you know whether you're a member non-member employer um, and you, you would just select employer and as always we will be updating uh, regularly our website and social media so check that for updates um, and you actually have a, a specific early years email address that people can contact us on about this don't we yeah so uh, the email address is early years at community hyphen tu We would really encourage all members or anybody that's interested in finding out more about the Charter to get in touch. We want to hear from you. It is a very important issue and we want to take this as far as we possibly can. So we decided to provide a designated mailbox for all of those communications. And finally then, if you want to know more about the earliest Charter that Letitia has been talking about, we do have a dedicated website where you can go, you can find out more and you can sign up. The website is community-tu.org forward slash sign up to our early years charter. All of those words are hyphenated. So community-tu.org forward slash sign hyphen up hyphen. You get the idea. Sign up to our early years charter. It'd be lovely to have as many of you as possible sign up and get the message out there. So on to our Your Working Life section, where we're sticking with the early years theme. And uh, Letitia's sticking around for the rest of the podcast, so she's going to be able to chip in as well uh, with her expertise on the subject. So, um, guys, recently the Chancellor announced in, in the spring budget an optional change to childcare ratios from one to four to one to five for, for two-year-old children. Uh, and this change uh, will apply from September this year, from September 2023. Uh, all other staff to child ratios are remaining the same. Um, you know, what's the union's position on this? Well, we said, Rob, that the government hasn't listened um, to the sector at all because they overwhelmingly rejected the idea in a recent consultation. And parents were really clear that they don't want to risk their child's safety. In Scotland, where ratios are higher, these are backed up by requirements for highly qualified staff to support the ratios, which isn't the case here in England. Yeah, the government reckons that reducing ratios is the answer to cheap childcare and to also um, increase staffing in the sector. But the truth is that reducing ratios is likely to only put children's safety at risk. It's likely to have a negative effect on staff wellbeing. And that's likely to result in even more workers leaving the profession, making recruitment worse. This isn't, in our opinion, going to make things better. So, Martin, ratios are also connected to qualifications, aren't they? Can you give us a really quick, racy rundown of what what those are? I'll do my very best. Um, it's worth pointing out that the Chancellor's announcement uh, only affects those who are working with two-year-old children. So all other staff to child ratios remain the same. And it's also worth pointing out that this is an optional change. And we know already that some nursery and earlier providers have said that they will not be following this optional change. 
So for children aged under two, at least one staff member uh, needs to be there for every three children. And that staff member must hold a level three qualification. At least half of all other staff members must hold at least a level two qualification. And they should be trained specifically looking after uh, babies and those in that age group. Children aged two, which is what this proposal affects, currently there should be one staff member for every four children. Again, there needs to be at least one member who is level three trained and at least half of all other staff members must be at least level two trained. It's worth pointing out that in that aged two room, if there are any children who are younger than two, then it is that younger ratio which kicks in. And what's the situation with the need for staff with paediatric first aid qualifications? So the expectation is that every setting will have staff who are fully qualified in paediatric first aid. Newly qualified staff with a level two or level three early years qualification, for example, those who were awarded after June 2016, must also have a full paediatric first aid or an emergency PFA certificate within three months of starting work. And if they do not have this, then they cannot be counted in the earliest foundation stage staff child ratios. So it's really now, important. Now, recently, there was a big headline grabbing announcement by the government that they're going to extend the entitlement to free childcare. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I'm suspecting it's not as grand as they made it sound. Yeah. So currently, Parents who work more than 16 hours a week and earn less than £100,000 are entitled to 30 hours free childcare a week for children aged three to four. This has now been expanded so that working parents of all children over the age of nine months are also entitled to this free 30 hours of childcare. But Letitia, we know that there are issues with the way this has been announced and even with the word free. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, Martin, you're right. The the term free is not actually correct. The free entitlement doesn't actually cover the cost of provision and the cost per child varies depending on the area. So it's OK, the Chancellor saying that we're going to offer this free entitlement but actually this could actually have a detrimental impact on settings because the funding that they're receiving won't cover the cost of the provision that they're being asked to deliver so in hindsight it seems it sounds wonderful um, but in actual fact there could be quite a few issues with it. Yeah we know for example that uh, in London the funding that comes from government is around about £6, £6.60 an hour, but the cost of provision is nearer £10, leaving at least a £3 funding gap. And that is a serious concern to providers. Yeah. And, you know, we're already seeing that some providers are struggling to stay open financially. And sadly, we have seen some close. And, you know, whilst we would support, I'm sure we all would, um, an expansion of quality childcare provision, we need to ensure that appropriate funding is implemented as well to ensure that it actually has the imp- has the effect that we're wanting it to have. We want the cost to come down for parents, but also, you know, we don't want this to actually close more settings, which in turn will mean there are less places for children. So is there anything that we're doing as a union around these issues? Yeah, as early years lead, I attend meetings with the Early Years Coalition. Um, if you do ever check out our, my Early Years newsletters or the Early Years section in your voice, you'll know about this. Um, but basically, the coalition is attended by all of the big stakeholders in the Early Years sector. And what we're doing as, as a large group is looking at the deal 
the offer that's on the table and also working together to put recommendations to the government to ensure that actually it is a success. That sounds great. Uh, Now, I'm aware that there is a government consultation associated with Early Years going on at the moment. Martin, can you tell us more about that and how people can get in touch with us uh, or respond to that if they wish to do so? Absolutely. Yes, thanks. There there are some um, changes which are being proposed at the moment by the government and these are under consultation. The proposed changes relate primarily to the learning and development aspects of the Early Years Foundation stage, as well as a couple of safeguarding and welfare issues. Now, we as your union will be responding on your behalf and you'll be able to read our response when it is completed on our website. You can get in touch with us on educationpolicy at community-tu.org if you've got any comments or you would like to contribute directly to our response. Or, of course, you can respond directly to the consultation yourself. The best way to find it is to Google EYFS Changes Consultation. Please do get in touch with us if you do have anything to say on that consultation or anything else that we've discussed today. As always, the the email address is educationpolicy at community-tu.org. We love to hear from you and contributions to the podcast, to uh, consultation responses are always really, really welcome and really, really useful. We act on your behalf after all. Okay, and time to move on then to this month's Mythbusters. On time and good effort this month, Martin. Thank right. You. Okay. So as always, what I'll do, and Letitia's still with us, so she's going to chip in as well, right? Yes, of course, right. Rob. Uh, so as always, what I'll do is I will give you, I think, perhaps a couple of myths, but there's two of you, so we'll have two, at least two this month, a couple of myths that you are going to try and uh, debunk for us. So here's the first one. In an emergency, the nursery is allowed to relax the ratios. Who wants to go at that first? Uh, okay. So... Yeah. Staff to child ratios apply to the whole provision, not to each room. So that's really important to state first. For example, you might need fewer members of staff in the baby room when they're sleeping than when they're awake, or you might increase the number of staff that are around children during mealtimes. The critical thing here is that employers must be able to explain the rationale behind their decisions, um, and obviously they must never fall below the ratios as we mentioned earlier in the episode. So to be counted in the ratios, staff must be at least 17 years old. There are some exceptions for apprentices, but staff must be at least 17 years old. They must also be suitable. And that means, for example, that childminders should have an Ofsted suitability lesson. Nurseries must carry out their own recruitment checks and determine suitability. And suitability in this instance is often connected to qualifications and we've mentioned about level two and level three qualifications already. There are some exceptions as we've mentioned where the nursery is allowed to relax the ratios and we saw this quite significantly during Covid. However the nursery, the provider, must make sure that they can maintain the quality of care and critically the safety and security of the children because Ofsted may ask them to demonstrate how they do this. And it's also important that the provider informs parents and lets carers know too. Exceptionally, and where the quality of care and safety and security of children is maintained, changes to ratios may be made. And this applies to all settings, but childminders can never have more than six children under the age of eight per adult providing care. 
And, and just uh, Letitia, do you know where where in particular that bit of information is set out so people can go and find it if they need to, if that's part of their job? Yes, Rob, it is clearly set out in the EYFS document at clause 3.31 and 3.43. That's really specific. Uh, thank you. Uh, that, you knew that better than I thought you would. Um, OK, so my second one this month for you then is um, I have to stay after my normal working hours, specifically first, to look after children who've not been collected. So if a child's not been collected, they're still at the nursery, your manager says to you, you've got to stay and look after them. Is that, do you, is that true? Do you, do you have to stay and look after them? It's the responsibility of the nursery to keep the child safe. And usually it would be a senior member of staff that is best placed to contact the parents um, and stay behind and make the arrangements for the child to be collected. We know that our members have had this had this before, um, but what I would say is that, you know, realistically, it's senior leaders' responsibility to make sure that those arrangements are put in place, not to put it all on, on our members. Okay, so I'm going to ask you about pay in a minute, but because there's, but there's a little bit more um, that I think I just want to cover, if that's okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Martin, you can jump in um, for this one as well, potentially. So same sort of point, I have to stay out of my normal working hours for a meeting or for mandatory staff training. A- again, do you have to? We, we have quite a lot of questions about this from members, not just in the early years sector, but across our membership. So it's really important to state at the absolute outset that if you are asked to attend something, mandatory staff training or for a meeting or anything, and it is a day when you are not working. So it's one of your non-working days or it's a day when you've not been rotated into, into going to, into work. If it's a non-working day, nobody can require you to go into work for that meeting or training. So they cannot mandate you to go into work. They can ask you, they can request you do, they can offer to pay you extra for going in, but they cannot require you to do that. If it's a working day, even if it's a day where you work the morning um, and don't work the afternoon, then you can be asked to stay after work for events. However, good practice is that you should be notified of these in good time, especially for planned events like meetings, etc. If it's uh, something which has come out of the blue, for example, you maybe um, have got a, an emergency, then we can understand, and I'm sure most people can understand, that there are circumstances where it's more difficult to plan. But for normal staff meetings or for staff training, these are things which should be planned and written into a calendar and notified to staff members in good time. In those instances, then it is fair for you to be required to stay after work and for you to be paid to attend those events too. Just before we come on to pay, and I will come back to that in a minute, is there not an amount of time that we would say is a sort of a reasonable amount of time between shifts, so to speak? Like I think we've spoken before about time between shifts having to be usable time. We've spoken before about what's called trapped time, where uh, particularly relating to teachers and TAs in schools, um, members are asked to work in a morning, and then are required to attend uh, an evening activity. Um, in those instances, we would normally expect the provider to either allow the member of staff to go home or to do their own thing. Or if the time is insufficient to allow them to do that, then they should be paid for that. So normally anything two hours or less is not 
usable time for the member of staff and we would expect the employer therefore if they're requiring them in the morning and requiring them in the evening to continue paying them it's worth pointing out that if you are paid to be at work then it is reasonable for your employer to expect you to work so if you are going to be paid in the afternoon then it is reasonable for you to be uh, actually deployed into one of the childcare rooms or asked to do uh, paperwork or some other meaningful employment. Now I said I'd come back to pay so to put it really really simply if you are required mandated told that you need to stay for an extra meeting or work an extra hour or whatever it might be even if you have to stay to look after a child for an extra half an hour you should be paid simple as that. It's worth coming back to our favourite phrase Check your contract, check your contract, check your contract. Because put simply, if you are required to be at work, you should be paid. But it's always wise to check your contract to be 100% sure. For example, if you are salaried, then things like meetings and training are already likely to be included in your working hours and therefore already included in your pay. So you probably, if you are a salaried member of staff, won't get any extra pay for attending those meetings. But if you're paid on an hourly rate, we would expect you to be paid extra for training and meetings. And as I've already said, you should be given advance notice of meetings and training so that you can arrange transport, so that you can arrange childcare, etc, etc. If it's quite a last minute request, but you've got to go and catch your bus, you know, because you've got to get somewhere, I don't know, for example, to pick your children up. Can you say no? Yes, Rob, I would say that you could say no. Um, It's not unreasonable to do that. You know, the employer needs to be giving you advance notice. And if they're not, and then that's then impacting on your personal commitments with your childcare, it actually could be classed as discriminatory. Yeah, just to add to Letitia's point, it could be discriminatory because we know that a a large proportion of the early years workforce are female and therefore they are the ones who are likely to be most impacted um, by last minute changes because they're the ones that often bear the brunt of child caring duties. If you think you might be being discriminated against, please do get in touch with your regional officer or with your education officer for further advice. Yeah, and I think that nicely rounds us off for another month. So I think we can probably say that's another couple of myths busted. And so it just remains this month for us to say that you can get in touch with us, uh, as we've said throughout the podcast, via email at educationpolicy at community-tu.org. We are the union for early years professionals, um, and we know that A lot of people working in the sector don't know that there is a union out there that can provide specialist advice for the sector. So, you know, please do share information about us and tell people where to find out more. Yeah, absolutely. There is a union, isn't there, for people in early years? It's us. So, yeah, as the teacher said, um, tell your colleagues and your friends about us. We're stronger when we're together. Uh, You can also find us on social media. We have pages on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. For help and advice, visit our website www.community-tu.org and check out our frequently asked questions, our advice centre and information sheets. If you are a member and you need casework support on anything, not just what's been discussed in today's podcast, then please contact your regional team. Use the Contact Us button on our website or call the call centre on 0800 389 6332. And don't forget to like 
and subscribe and tell everybody to join us on the Education Podcast.